France wants to block websites at the browser level. A new purism phone. Apple finally grew a backbone, sort of. Proton Pass has arrived, a ton of move it breaches, and much, much more. Kind of a busy week, not too busy, but a little bit. Welcome to Surveillance Report 140. Man, it seems like 100 was just last week, but you know, here we are. We're dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news from the past week. I am Nathan from The New Oil. And I'm Henry from TechLore. Our promo segment this week, it's the same as always. We have Patreon. If you want to support us and get some perks in return for $5 a month, you can ask a question. And we had some good questions this week. For $10 a month, you get an extended segment where we offer more of our thoughts, opinions, personal feedback, analysis, and you don't have to listen to this promo segment. So that's always nice. If you want to support us in a recurring fashion where you can set it and forget it, but you don't care about perks, then we have LibrePay. And last but not least, we still have Monero. It is, in our opinion, currently the most private anonymous cryptocurrency on the market, or at least one of them, if not the most. And that is a great way to support us. It's just, you know, it's a manual thing. So regardless, for those of you who are able to support and do so, thank you very, very much. And on that note, I just wanted to take a quick note and say thank you to all the new supporters. After last week, we went on a, a little bit of a tangent in the Q&A section. We saw a huge spike in patrons. We got a couple more people on LibrePay. We saw a bunch of Monero. Thank you guys, really, seriously. That is a really difficult subject to talk about. For those just joining us, we basically talked about how um, projects like these get a lot of viewers and followers for free, but not a lot of paying supporters. And when we talk about that stuff, it can very easily come off as like entitled complaining that we deserve more money and you should pay us and stuff like that. And for the record, that's not what we're trying to say. You know, if you don't think we deserve the money, then don't pay us. But clearly a lot of you guys watch, a lot of you are getting value. So we just wanted to highlight that issue. And we mentioned it's not an issue that just affects us. So for those of you who did support us, thank you. We really appreciate it. We forgot to say it outright, but obviously if you're not able to financially support us or any other project out there that brings value to you, we get that, you know, pay your bills, buy your groceries, take care of yourself. But for those who have the disposable income, and even if you're not supporting us, if you're supporting another project that brings value to your life, thank you for doing that. It, it really does make a difference. All right, the highlight story this week, France has not had a very good track record this year so far uh, in regards to privacy, and this is going to continue that pattern, unfortunately. So the headline for this comes from Mozilla, and it's France's browser-based website blocking proposal will set a disastrous precedent for the open internet. So I'm gonna do a lot of quoting here. In a well-intentioned yet dangerous move to fight online fraud, France is on the verge of forcing browsers to create a dystopian technical capability. Article 6, Part 2 and 3 of the SREN bill would force browser providers to create the means to mandatorily block websites pres present on a government-provided list. While motivated by a legitimate concern, this move to block websites directly within the browser would be disastrous for the open internet and disproportionate to the goals of the legal proposal, which is fighting fraud. It will also set a worrying precedent and create technical capabilities that other regimes will leverage for far more nefarious purposes, leveraging existing malware and phishing protection offerings rather than replacing them with government-provided device-level block lists is a far better route to achieve the goals of the legislation. So we're going to link the Mulvad article, but I did actually like this paragraph from Torrent Freak and their coverage of this. This is like the only original thing they wrote that wasn't just quoting the, Mul the, um, the Mozilla article, and it's major browsers currently make use of Google's safe browsing system, which alerts visitors to those flagged websites that there could be trouble ahead. Users can continue to use those sites if they so wish, but Mozilla warns that the language in the current proposal is focused on website blocking and contains nothing to ensure privacy or prevent the blocking system being used for other purposes. 
Going back to Mozilla's article, forcing browsers to create capabilities that enable website blocking at the browser level is a slippery slope, and it could be leveraged only for malware and phishing in France today. But again, what they say pretty much is that it's going to allow the capability for other governments to use this for other nefarious reasons, which I've already kind of covered here. This is currently not a thing, and what this would look like for people who are wondering is you download a browser, and by default, the browser is blocking certain websites that the government gets to decide what those websites are. I was kind of taking notes for later stories while you were talking. Did they mention anything about VPNs? Like, would a VPN be able to defeat this or? Well, no, they're trying Would to... you be able to like change your DNS or anything? Because that seems like, like an easy workaround. No, it sounds like they're trying to bake this into the browser itself. So what is Chrome going to have to make like one version of Chrome for France and one version for everyone else? Right. Well, okay. So this I mean, is... they do that for China because China's got a billion people. <laughs> They're not going to do that for France. No, this is baked into the browser. That's why this isn't like a government block. I don't, I actually don't know what's worse, like a whole DNS block list. At least that's easy to bypass. A browser yeah. would actually be a little bit harder, but then it still wouldn't be because you just download like any a other browser, browser that doesn't respect this. So I don't think this will pass into law. For, so just, just to outline this uh, before we move on, this has not been passed into law. It's just a proposal and we don't know what's going to happen here. So if you are in France, perhaps speak up. All right, with that, we'll move into our data breaches section. We're going to start off, uh, we got a lot of move it stuff this week, like I said in the beginning. We'll start off with cyber criminals stealing the data of 45,000 New York City students in a move it breach. Quoting the article, the New York City Department of Education says attackers stole documents containing the sensitive personal information of up to 45,000 students from its Move It transfer server. For the record, they did patch their servers as soon as they were made aware of the CVE. So they did do everything right, but this was a zero day, so it was already too late. As the headline noted, this impacted 45,000 students as well as staff and, quote, related service providers. 19,000 documents were accessed, including social security number and employee ID numbers. The article really did not go into detail on like what was compromised or anything like that. So kind of scant details, but. Siemens Energy confirms data breach after move it data theft attack. The data has not been leaked yet and the countdown is still up. They've claimed that no critical data was stolen, but we will see how true that is as the weeks continue to unfold. The article also notes Schneider, Schneider Electric was also a victim of a similar attack. So move it continues. We'll take a break from move it now and talk about hacktivists stealing government files from the Texas city of Fort Worth. Fort Worth claims that no sensitive data was stolen and that it only includes work order related stuff like photos, spreadsheets, invoices, and more. TechCrunch obtained a copy of this data. That's who this article came from. And they noted that it also included employee data, like for the work orders, for example, it includes the worker who responded to it, their name, work phone number, and email address. So Users who use whatever this city system is are being told to change their passwords. And that is about all we know at this time. Next up, Let Me Spy is a phone tracking app spying on thousands, which says it was hacked. So uh, for those who care, this was pretty much a company that was one of those you know, apps for parents to track their kids and do all this kind of nefarious stuff, which again, you can do this using just native tools on both devices at this point, both Apple and Google devices, and even some desktop operating systems now include native things to do this. You don't need third parties. But for people who did use this, this included messages, call logs, locations, email addresses, and phone numbers of at least 13,000 devices, which were leaked. The researcher who discovered the breach claims that when they attempted to contact the company, the attacker instead replied, claiming to have compromised the entire domain. Our next story is pretty quick. It comes from the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, notifying filers of a years-long data leak. So this comes from 
basically an API issue. They have an API where you can check the status of your filing to see if it's been approved, if it's still in processing, whatever the case. This affected 61,000 filers' private addresses. Apparently, U.S. law requires applicants to include a private address to, quote unquote, crack down on fraud, unquote. And that was where the issue came from. Chipmaker TSMC says some of its data was swept up in a hack on a hardware supplier. Uh, so this was a security incident that allowed the attackers to obtain configurations and settings for some of the servers the company uses in the corporate network. The disclosure came a day after the LockBit ransomware crime syndicate listed TSMC on its extortion site and threatened to publish the data unless it received a payout of $70 million. The hardware supplier, which is called Kinmax Technologies, confirmed that one of its test environments had been attacked by an external group, which was then able to retrieve configuration files and other parameter information. The company said it learned of the breach on Thursday and immediately shut down the compromised systems and notified the affected customers. That's really it for that story. All right, that is all we got for data breaches this week. That'll take us into companies. We're gonna start off with a big one, but a short one. The headline says, Apple joins opposition to encrypted message app scanning. Honestly, the title says it all. This is about the online safety bill in the UK, which I don't think we included it in this week because it's kind of speculation and we try to stay away from that as much as possible. But I mean, it sounds like that might actually pass. Like I, I read another article tonight that said it was kind of like taking its final shape and stuff. So that's not good. But yeah, Apple has stepped forward and basically said, hey, we're not a fan of this. We oppose this. The article notes that a, a lot of our veteran listeners remember this a few, uh, what, a couple years ago, a year ago, Apple was like, hey, we're going to introduce client side scanning. And everybody was like, that's a bad idea. And the pushback was actually so bad that Apple was like, all right, we'll drop it. No big deal. So yeah, they've come forward to say like, hey, this is not good. Client side scanning is not good. We don't we don't stand behind this. They haven't quite taken the hard stance that Signal has, or I think a couple other messengers have, where they're just like, if you pass this, we're leaving. But hopefully the fact that such a big name has come forward will give some pause to the lawmakers. For those just joining us, the online safety bill is basically, I, I mean, this is not even exaggeration. It's basically a UK mandate to insert a backdoor into encryption, encrypted messengers. And that's not good. For anybody so next article suncar suncar energy core i don't know yeah well the, it's an energy company cyber attack that impacts petro canada gas stations so uh, these gas stations across canada were impacted by technical problems preventing customers from paying with credit card or <gasps> gasp rewards points as its parent company disclosed that they suffered a cyber attack they claim no data had been stolen but they haven't said much else so this next story says <laughs> microsoft wants to move windows fully to the cloud this comes from an internal state of the business that Microsoft presented from June 2022, and they discuss building on Windows 365 to enable a full Windows operating system streamed from the cloud to any device. I don't think I put it in the show notes here, but I believe this came from a lawsuit that Windows is currently involved in. I think it's the Activision lawsuit where basically Windows had to kind of disclose their plans for the future as part of this court proceeding. Quoting the article, Windows 365 is a service that streams a full version of Windows to devices. So far, it's been limited to just commercial customers, but Microsoft has been deeply integrating it into Windows 11 already. A future update will include Windows 365 Boot, which will enable Windows 11 devices to log directly into a cloud PC instance at boot instead of a local version. Windows 365 Switch is also built into Windows 11 to integrate cloud PCs into the task view or virtual desktops feature, unquote. Next one is a fun one, another case of protecting the children backfire. So, so a high school changed every student's passwords to, in quotations, C-H-A-T-N-G-E-M-E, -E, which is change me, 
<laughs> exclamation mark. But this is a cybersecurity audit, which mistakenly reset everyone's passwords. And the high school changed every student's password to, again, change me, giving every student the chance to hack into any other student's account. So this was, this was from Oak Park and River Forest High School in Illinois. The school has 3,000 students, and they wrote an email dated June 22nd that we strongly suggest that your child updates this password to their own unique password as soon as possible. And so it makes sense why they can't just go in. I guess they could go in and give each student it's they actually could do that i don't know why they didn't do that yeah, um, but they yeah read read the last paragraph okay okay a day later the school realized the mistake and told parents in an email that the education technology department will be emailing you okay a special password process over the weekend that will be unique to your specific student okay thank goodness because that's yeah, definitely the way to go i was reading i'm like what the i didn't read this story before i started and so i'm just reading through the notes right now and i'm like <laughs> that's silly they could just generate special passwords and then ask them to change it from there on out so so we don't have any research stories this week unfortunately nothing came across our desks i'm sure some cool stuff was happening but unfortunately we didn't hear about it so we'll jump right into politics and our first story comes from ireland it says last minute law change bid to muzzle critics of data protection commission that's Worded kind of weird, but to explain, a last minute government amendment to a bill is an effort to muzzle critics of the Data Protection Commission and will make the commission's data decision making even more opaque, according to a civil liberties group. Dr. Johnny Ryan of the ICCL said that the amendment, quote, will gag people from speaking about how the DPC handles their complaint and from speaking about how big tech firms or public bodies are misusing their data, unquote. He said that it will make it impossible for journalists to report properly on Ireland's GDPR supervision of big tech firms that have their European headquarters there, including Google, Meta, Apple, Microsoft, and TikTok. If this amendment was in place earlier, data privacy activist and lawyer Max Schrems might have been gagged from speaking out about data privacy violations by Facebook, including violations of European privacy laws. And that all came from Johnny Ryan. Max Schrems, for those who don't know, he's a heads up uh, NYOB, none of your business, also known as NOIB. They've done some really impressive work over in Europe. So next story is from EncroChat, which is not a word we've heard before. So there, it's pretty much just coverage of the EncroChat situation. So before I read the headline off, just giving some context here, EncroChat was one of those encrypted mobile communication apps that was like super sus, proprietary, subscription-based, you know, geared towards criminals type of thing. The kind of thing that we consistently discourage back here because you should always just be using the free open source stuff that works better than this and is not super sus. But this was actually a whole honeypot and it was a whole, it was a whole operation to track criminals pretty much. They were trying to attract criminals, they attracted criminals, and it was all completely just ridiculous. This is why you don't trust proprietary things. But they are just pretty much summarizing that whole thing. And actually, they've released now that the takedown, the EncroChat takedown, led to 6,500 arrests and um, $979 million seized. So yeah, that's pretty much it. It's pretty much showing this was a very successful operation. With that, we'll talk about ChatGPT and their maker OpenAI, who is no longer open, and is facing a lawsuit over how it used people's data. So a California law firm is suing OpenAI for violating the privacy and property rights of countless people when it used their internet data to train its AI tech. OpenAI violated the rights of millions of internet users when it used their social media comments, blog posts, Wikipedia articles, and family recipes. The law firm behind the suit, which is called Clarkson, has previously brought large-scale class action lawsuits on issues ranging from data breaches to false advertising. OpenAI isn't the only company using troves of data scraped from the open internet to train their AI models. Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and a growing number of other companies are all doing the same thing. Next story 
Colorado and Connecticut data privacy laws go into effect on July 1st, which uh, we're recording this on Friday, June 30th. So that's tomorrow. By the time you see this live, this will already have been passed. If companies haven't finished their compliance work to abide by the rules, they could face civil penalties up to $20,000 per violation in some states. I hope that's per user and not total. The Colorado and Connecticut laws apply to entities that do business in those states, as well as businesses that process a certain amount of data about in-state customers. Under the new laws, residents of each state will have the right to request businesses delete their personal information, ask for a copy of the information businesses have collected about them, opt out of the sale of their personal data, and more. Both laws also require businesses to request opt-in permission from consumers before letting businesses process their sensitive information, deferring from the opt-out mechanism consumers have in California. Colorado and Connecticut are leaving enforcement up to the attorneys general. Eh, until enforcement begins, it's unclear how much each office will prioritize data privacy cases. And on a similar note, just to kind of remind people, Utah's privacy bill will go into effect next on December 31st, unless something else is passed and enacted before then. But Okay, with that, we'll move into our free and open source software news. We'll start with Brave, who has released localhost resource permission. I'm going to do a lot of quoting in the article here, and I apologize. Starting in version 1.54, Brave for desktop and Android will include more powerful features for controlling which sites can access local network resources and for how long. Most popular browsers allow websites to access local network resources without protection or restriction, which puts users' privacy and security at risk. Many popular websites query your local network, often as a fingerprinting technique. Others do so to observe and possibly exploit information from other software running on your machine. Localhost resources is a broad term that refers to resources like images, web pages, etc., that websites can access, which don't come from the web. Instead, these resources are hosted, often unknowingly, by other software on your computer. Surprisingly, though it may be, most browsers allow websites to access these local resources just as easily as they can access other resources on the web. Browsers allow websites to access local host resources for a range of reasons, but the main two reasons are historical legacy, aka it's always been done this way, and backwards compatibility. Browsers used to be less concerned about user privacy and so didn't enforce distinctions between first-party resources, such as those hosted on the site you're visiting, third-party resources like those hosted on other websites, and local resources. Thanks to this historical quote-unquote accident, a small but important amount of software has been built expecting to be freely accessible by websites, often in ways invisible to users, and many of these uses are benign. Examples include some wallets for cryptocurrencies, security software provided by banks, or security companies and hardware devices that use certain web interfaces for configuration. Unfortunately, a wide range of malicious user-harming software on the web uses access to local host resources for malicious reasons. For example, fingerprinting scripts try to detect unique patterns in other software you have running on your devices to re-identify you, and other scripts try to identify insecure and vulnerable software on the machine to try and export it. Brave currently uses filter lists to block scripts known to maliciously scan local host resources and block requests from public sites to resources. Brave will soon start rolling out a new approach for protecting users against sites abusing local network resources. This new system will have the following parts. Requests to local resources from a local host context are allowed automatically. Brave does not block a locally hosted package from accessing other locally hosted resources. Brave will continue to use filter lists to block scripts and sites known to abuse local host resources. Brave will use a new permission called the local host permission. It only sites with this permission will be able to make sub-resource requests to local host resources. By default, no sites have this permission, and importantly, most sites have no way to prompt users for this permission. However, advanced users can use the existing site settings interface to grant this permission. And finally, Brave will also include a list of trusted sites or sites known to access local resources for user-benefiting purposes. The first time a site on this list initiates a sub-request to a resource, it will trigger a permission prompt of the previously mentioned permission. This list is publicly available and will be maintained by Brave. 
The next one is pretty much a Proton release their password manager Proton Pass to the public. I actually did a whole review on TechLore for this. If you want to see the whole review, just to cover this very quickly, this was in beta, now it's in public, so anyone can use it. You can individually buy Proton Pass, kind of like how you can buy Bitwarden, though I think it still requires a Proton account to do that, so you will have to create a whole Proton account just for Proton Pass. Someone correct me if I'm wrong about that, but when I quickly tried to do it, it did look like it asks you to make a Proton account. It is heavily discounted right now, so anyone interested in this, definitely check it out. Or for people with Proton Unlimited, just log in and test it out. I think it's just part of all Proton Unlimited. Okay, and our, I believe this is our final, almost final, Foss story is sad news. It comes from IVPN. It says the gradual removal of port forwarding from the IVPN service. Port forwarding, uh, quoting their blog post here, port forwarding enables activities such as large scale abuse and sharing of objectionable materials that can have a negative effect on our servers and operations. While the majority of customers are not using the feature for such purposes, actions of a few can have undesired consequences affecting the whole VPN network. Since recent similar changes in the policies of another popular VPN service provider, which is Mulvad, they didn't say that, but they're talking about Mulvad. We covered that a couple weeks ago. We have seen a significant influx of new customers and the risks posed by such activities have grown many fold. A considerable increase in law enforcement inquiries and erosion of relationship with data centers could threaten our ability to keep serving our customers. We have no insights into how any one specific customer uses IVPN and that needs to stay that way. After careful deliberation, we have found no other way to avoid further negative outcomes, but to gradually remove the port forwarding feature from service. As of today, June 29th, 2023, port forwarding is not offered for new customers as part of the pro plan. Further, existing IVPN pro customers cannot reserve new ports. Existing reservations will stay in place and can be disabled by manual action. We are disabling all reserved ports and completely remove this feature from our service on September 30th, 2023. So I'm still gonna try to keep this objective as much as I can. Purism makes Linux devices, they make Linux phones, sometimes, and they make Linux laptops, which you can actually probably get your hands on, and they also make some Linux desktops and things like that. So they originally rolled out Purism Librem 5, and then they released a USA variant. And now they're releasing a new variant, which is called the Liberty Phone. So they're introducing this Liberty Phone with, it's the same exact phone, it's still the Librem 5, but it has more RAM and more drive space. And that's the only change. And so the Librem 5 USA starts at $2,000 and this one starts at you know, $2,199. So it's like an extra $200 for more RAM and more drive space. And here's what they say, direct quote, the Liberty phone is the upgraded version of our popular Librem 5 USA phone with made in USA electronics. The Liberty phone integrates four gigabytes of RAM and 128 gigabytes of internal storage for those who are curious. So uh, like, on brand with what every other phone comes with nowadays, if not a little bit less, depending on the phone you're buying. And with that, we'll roll into Misfits. We got a couple of stories for you. The first one, I mean, it's pretty straightforward, but I've got quite a bit to quote here. The headline says, turn off your phone every night for five minutes, Australian PM tells residents. The Australian government's advice is not new. In 2020, the United States National Security Agency issued best practice guidelines for mobile device security, which included rebooting smartphones once a week to prevent hacking. While a reboot every day may seem a basic measure, experts believe it can help in some instances. One doctor, I'm going to screw this name up, 
Priyadarsi Nanda, who is a senior lecturer at the University of Technology, Sydney, who specializes in cybersecurity development, said that rebooting a phone regularly could minimize risk because it forcibly closes any applications and processes running in the background that could maliciously be monitoring users or collecting data. Dr. Nanda said that many users don't realize their apps are often running in the background. Quote, given how much we use smartphones in our lives, we know of cases where people haven't turned off their phones in an entire year. Unquote. Nanda was noting people who rely on their phone's alarm clock, for example, and may need it on 24 hours a day. Dr. Nanda said that some of the benefits of rebooting a phone could be achieved by regularly closing apps that might be running in the background, but there could be other malicious processes running on a compromised device that will only be stopped by turning the phone off. Quoting him again, if a process uh, running from the adversarial side, turning off the phone breaks the chain, even if it's only for the time the phone is off, it certainly frustrates the potential attacker. It may not fully protect you, but rebooting can make things more difficult. Another doctor, Arash Shagahi, Shagagi, uh, who is a senior lecturer in the in cybersecurity at the University of New South Wales, said that daily rebooting was a good first step and encourages users to adopt good cyber hygiene because disconnecting can minimize certain risks. However, and of course, here's our disclaimer, the doctor warns against a false sense of security. For example, they said, quote, if your password is stolen and you disconnect your phone, you are not protected and your account is still at risk. If attackers target a device, a temporary disconnect may only be an inconvenience, unquote. All right, up next, just another Misfits here. Redacting documents with a black Sharpie doesn't work. This is part of the FTC versus Microsoft hearing, and Sony supplied a document from PlayStation chief Jim Ryan that includes redacted details on the margins Sony shares with its publishers, its Call of Duty revenues, and even the cost of developing some of its games. It looks like someone redacted documents with a black Sharpie, but when you scan them in, it's easy to see some of the redactions. So uh, just keep in mind that just sharpening things uh, might not be the best way to redact documents. I don't know what the alternative is, but that is just something to consider. I assume you have to have some kind of like actual like black piece of paper that's overlaid on top of it or something like that. This came from uh, Bruce Schneier, his blog, and I did peruse some of the comments. And um, a lot of people recommended like redacting just in like GIMP or Photoshop or something. Right. Just open it up in a paint editor and and redact it that way. So that's one option. Right. I guess I was yeah. thinking of non-digital options because it sounds like this was non-digital. <laughs> right. Yeah, in that case, I I think yeah, it would be a little more challenging. I think they do sell actually. I'm I could be making this up, but I seem to have a memory of like they sell redacting tape on Amazon, and I'm sure probably other places where it's literally it's it's almost like whiteout or like actual tape that you just physically you just take out a strip, stick it on there, and go. Right. So that could be an option too. If you do a lot of redaction, look into that. And then our, our very last story is just a quick signal boost. This is a website called passkeys.directory. It is a community-driven index of websites, apps, and services that offer signing in with passkeys. So this is a crowdsourced, pretty self-explanatory. If you're curious how widely adopted passkeys are, or maybe, maybe you're like me and you're like, I'm not really going to dive into this technology until enough of the websites I use support it to make it worth my time. Here's your chance. Go check it out. You can search by websites or you can just browse. You can do either or and check out and see who supports passkeys and who doesn't. Not to keep harping on passkeys, I know we've been talking about them a lot, but there you go. All right, with that, we'll move into our Q&A section. This is where our patrons can, for $5 a month or more, ask us a question. And on that note, uh, I just wanted to throw a quick question to you guys. Something Henry floated to me earlier today was this idea of, we've noticed that a lot of you guys stop watching in the Q&A section, which is a completely fair thing for the record. 
But uh, we were wondering, would you guys prefer it if we spun these off into their separate videos? We're not talking about shorts. We might still do shorts if it's a really simple short question. Like actually one of them is this week, but just completely separate videos, just standalone Q and A. Here's one question, here's another question. And that way, those of you who don't care about the Q&A don't have to sit through it. But those of you who ask your questions still get your questions answered. So let us know what you guys think in the comments. And thank you for your feedback. With that, we will launch into our Q&A section. We have three questions this week. We're going to go ahead and answer two of them now. And like I said, one of them, I think we're going to make into a short. And that is the second question from Aaron. So Aaron, we'll get back to you a little bit later this week. But our first question comes from Aoshi who says, is there a private way to play games slash watch entertainment on consoles? I've had an Xbox One for a while now and I've been considering either upgrading to a Series X or just to get a PC, but most games I play are only available on Windows, which I don't use. So I thought maybe sticking to an Xbox would be better. I've separated my account on Xbox from my other stuff, but if having a PC is more private slash could be more private, then I'd probably switch to PC, but I'm not sure which one to go for. Any advice would be helpful and thank you for all the work you do. It's my opinion between the two, I think a PC can be made more private. I'm kind of guessing here because to be totally honest, you know, Windows is kind of a black box. We can't really say for sure, but I know that there are hardening scripts out there. There's like O&O Shut Up 10, which also works on Windows 11, by the way. There's W10 Privacy, which I'm told works on Windows 11 and I keep forgetting to test it because I'm on 11 myself. There's Windows Spy Blocker, which for the record, none of these are perfect and you are trusting a third party with these things, but these are very reputed sources. Windows Spy Blocker actually hasn't been updated in a while, but usually these are uh, frequently updated sources. And then of course, if you manage to get your hands on like a pro version or the LTSC version, or um, I think there's a couple other versions of Windows, they give you considerably more control over the telemetry. Again, they're not perfect. Windows is very, very leaky. It's very, very uh, data hungry, but I, I think you have a lot more control. That's my opinion. If you wanna stick with a console, and this, this is kind of universal to both of these. If you wanna stick with a console, number one, putting a VPN on your router is a really good way to do that. My wife and I have a smart TV and we have that behind a VPN. Also, I know Henry is a really big fan of NextDNS and that allows you to, you can see every individual DNS request made and then you can also block them. So you can, and for the record, this will probably take some time to get the hang of, but you can see every DNS request that your, your Xbox is making. And you can see like, okay, is this one update? Is this one telemetry? And if you're not sure, some of them, this is the part I say may take a little while. You can look them up and try to figure out like, what is this domain? Do I need this? Is this data collection? Is this updates? Is this something important? And if you determine that like, I don't need this, you can block it. And if you turn out to be wrong, you can unblock it. So if you're willing to go like through a VPN with a custom DNS route, I think it's probably a wash to be totally honest with you. But if that sounds a little bit more out of your league, then I, I'm a, again, my personal opinion is a PC gives you a lot more control. But all that said, just for the record, for the people who I know are gonna mention it, they're both gonna be pretty leaky. They're both probably gonna leak a lot, a lot of data. I would focus more on trying to minimize that data. So for example, if you don't play online very often, don't get a headset. Or if you only play online with your friends, probably don't use the built-in chat. It's probably a little safer to like make a group call on signal or something and use that. Definitely go through the settings, see if you can disable any telemetry. I mean, that only does so much, but it's a good start. So yeah, things, things of that uh, nature. So yeah, that would be my recommendation. Oh, and real quick, since we're probably not gonna have time to say it in the short, I just wanna say thank you, Aaron. You're one of the people who mentioned that you are uh, a recent patron who joined recently. So thank you very much. We really appreciate your support in keeping us going. 
And our final question comes from Mr. Camel999, who says, hello, first time asking a question here and a new patron. Yes, we noticed. Thank you so much for subscribing. Thank you for the support. Camel says, I have a question specifically for Nate. I know you said a few times that you dislike start page, but didn't want to go further into it than that. I am currently unaware of anything they've done wrong, and I would like to become more educated on what they've done for you to not like them. For context, I use them as a backup search engine whenever my main search engine, which is a CRX instance called Exasearch, goes down for some reason. They're based in France, so I can't read their main page to know why. My dislike of them is personal. Personal, to be totally honest, I just don't trust them. I see them display a lot of anti-privacy behaviors. Like for example, they are notorious for blocking VPNs and Tor. They're also, if you listen to Opt Out Podcast, he did an interview with one of the, the Start Page people and she made a very vague reference to the fact that Start Page has some kind of, uh, what, what did she call it? She used a very specific phrase, like special agreement or something like that with Google. She made it sound like they weren't just paying for Google's API. She made it sound like it was a very specific arrangement. I guess the other big, oh, I remember now. I just remembered. The biggest thing that lost me was a couple of years ago, they partnered up with System One, which is an ad company. I don't know if they're owned by System One or what the deal is there because they were never transparent about it. Like they posted this announcement that they had entered into some kind of partnership. System One does own a significant number, a significant amount of start page. I don't know if it's a majority share or just a, 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 a large interest, but either way, like they posted this announcement and then just basically like stonewalled everyone. They gave everyone these really canned responses. They didn't elaborate. And they, I feel like they should have seen this coming. Like you're entering into an agreement with an ad company. Of course, the privacy people are going to have freaking questions here. And they were just like, no, like that should be fine. Everybody should just totally be cool with this and not ask questions. And they didn't actually open up until Privacy Guides, who at the time was still known as Privacy Tools, they threatened to delist Start Page. And that's when they finally like, okay, we'll sit down and talk and answer questions. And I was just like, it shouldn't take a big name like Privacy Guides forcing you to open up and be transparent. And even then, in my opinion, their answers were garbage anyways. I just, I don't trust them. I feel like I don't have any evidence of malicious behavior and I don't, I don't even think they're a honeypot or anything to be totally honest with you. I just think they're such a, a, they're so not transparent as a company. I just don't want to trust them, especially when I think there are already better options out there. You know, there's Brave, there's Mojik, there's uh Crex, there's, I know there's other ones. I finally added a, a, a search engine table to my website. There's a bunch of other options out there and I just don't feel like they do a very good job when there's other options out there. So, and Henry had some thoughts he wanted to share as well. Yeah, I actually like start page on my end. I do agree that there was a lot of things that were like, okay, why did you guys do that? But on my end, it comes across as like, okay, they just like screwed up more than it like necessarily speaks to bad behavior. But I think like your points still speak to the, like the general thing that I always say, which is like, Sometimes like you just need to trust something and sometimes you just distrust something. And this happens a lot on my end back here. There are services that I cover on TechLore and I review that internally when I'm reviewing them, I'm like, God, I, this is not something I personally really trust. But like, <laughs> since I do everything very evidence-based, like I might share like, hey, personal thought here. This is something that makes me kind of go. So Silent Link is a really good example of this actually on my end because Silent Link doesn't have a public team. They gave no reason for us to trust them. There's like no information on their website about anything. And I reviewed them and I was like, here's what they do. Here's what they offer. Here's what they say. Here's what the experience is like. It's pretty just like bare bones. And at the end, I go personal thoughts time. Here's what I like don't like about them and it's all very personal and it's like 
this kind of gives me some red flags, people should proceed with caution. So I think, again, trust is something that everyone needs to decide for themselves. If you don't like how something was marketed to you and it pushes you the wrong way and it gives you a bad feeling, you know, I'd say like that definitely is something to factor into the equation. I'd still be looking at the evidence and like trying to like make a good decision, but I think trust is a valuable thing and I think it makes sense why Nate doesn't trust them. I, I still trust them. I've shared and voiced similar complaints that Nate has voiced. It's just for me, it didn't result in me like not trusting them anymore, personally. And full disclosure, just so people know, I did do some interning at Startpage as well, and I did help them make some videos as well. So like I did get to speak to some of their marketing people. They're people that I know. So I get to see kind of the behind the scenes and I get to see like how they work a little bit. So I definitely have like that bias and that lens, which is going to be different. But I also will say the one thing I do like about Startpage is anonymous view. I, I think that's just something so cool that I just don't really see in other places. It's a nifty feature. For those who don't know anonymous view, like if you can do a search and you can click a website and and they pretty much act as a proxy to display you the website. Kind of like if you type a URL into Google Translate, Google Translate will give you like their proxy version of a website that's translated. They pretty much allow you to do that. So it's like it's their IP address that accesses the website. There's no cookies or cache being stored in your browser. My summary is you should look at what they did and what you agree and disagree with. And if you trust them based on their responses, that's all I can really say there. All right. And that is it for this week. So France is floating the idea of blocking sites at the browser level. Kind of scary. A new purism phone, take that how you will. Apple sort of grew a backbone a year later. Proton Pass is finally public. A lot of move it breaches. I wonder how many more we'll see of those next week and much, much more. So thank you for joining us. As always, we want to remind you, if you want to support us, help us keep going. We have three ways to do that. We have Patreon, $5 a month. You get to ask us a question like our three wonderful patrons did. And we will try to get that short out later this week. If you're not a fan of Patreon, we have LibrePay, which is open source. We have a few patrons there. It's recurring, so you don't have to think about it, but we still see that support. There's just no perks. And last but not least, of course, we have Monero, which is the most privacy respecting option. But of course, it is manual and there are no perks there. So um, regardless, for those of you who are able to support and do so, we thank you very much. And for those of you who are in a tight financial situation, I completely understand. I've been there and we still thank you for tuning in and supporting us with some views and comments and thumbs up and all those things, which leads into our final spot, which is where we say thank you for listening. The final thing we want to ask of you, share the podcast around, make sure you're subscribed, give us a rating if that's an option, thumbs up, comment, helps the algorithm. We're trying to reach as many people as possible with the message of privacy and every little bit that you can do helps us with that. So thank you again for listening and we'll be back next week. And for those in the US, have a great 4th of July weekend.